Jessica, it's always nice to have you here and uh, to be able to hear you sing is just an added amazing blessing. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you to all of those of you who were leading out in worship today. It's a blessing to kind of not just drop Christmas on the 25th and be done. I know that sometimes those years, the year comes and we're, uh, we're dropping it because we're done. We're just done. But I liked hanging on to it a little bit this Sabbath as we close 2019 and we're uh, kind of moving on. We're, we're going to continue just a brief one more day, one more Sabbath in our discussion of Christmas. So just a little bit more about Christmas. And so um, as we do, I ask you to join me for a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we recognize that there is nothing in your word that a preacher can add to. Today we ask that you would simply speak. In Jesus' name, amen. It's the, the famous story of Christmas, right? It's, it's the story in uh, Luke chapter 2 that, that, that gets us all, right? It's that, that text, that set of scriptures there as the passage opens in Luke 2. Those days, Caesar Augustus issued a census, a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, the reason they took a census, the King James says that they, he might ta- that they might be taxed. The reason they took census was so that they could, in fact, tax. So it's a census so that for the purpose of taxation. So they took a census of the entire Roman world. Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, and to Bethlehem. He went there to register with Mary. Now stop for a sec. Mary didn't have to go. He could have left her at home. We don't talk about that in the story, but he could have left her at home. She did not have to register because he was the landowner. He was going home to his home community. Remember, in Israel, land is connected to your tribe and your tribal uh, gift, those original parcels of land that were given to Israel by by the, the leadership as they conquered the promised land. And so he was going back to the place where his anchor was, where his land was. Mary didn't have to go. But he went with Mary, who was pledged to be married, which tells you there was still no wedding and was expecting a child. That's kind of the whole story, right? That's, that's the, the story. That's the information. She's with child of the Holy Spirit. And this guy, Joseph, is on his way to Bethlehem. 90 miles with this woman whom he loves. Whom he loves enough to marry in spite of her condition. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. 
Can we just say when they arrived, the days were completed for her to be delivered? Because it was, as we understand the story, day one, right? The night they arrived in Bethlehem was when the baby showed up. So I want you to picture those last 24 hours or last dozen hours when perhaps walking, perhaps riding on the back of a donkey, labor has started. She brought forth her firstborn son. Note the word first. I don't know how you were if you've had the privilege of seeing your firstborn born. But I'm telling you, it's a crazy moment in a million ways. And the firstborn is very often the most difficult birth. While she was there, she brought forth her firstborn son. Such an easy sentence. She brought forth her firstborn son. It's like, oh, a stork dropped it off. It grew out in the cabbage patch and she picked it up. She brought forth. It just has this, it's, it's lyrical. She brought forth her, the lady had a baby that night. Her first child that night, and it was a son. They wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. No room in the inn. No room for them. No place for her to have this baby on a bed or a birthing chair, or anything. Just a, just a stable. Pretty sure they didn't send any nurses in to sanitize it, to rake up all the dung that was around, clear the spot, make sure that the, the bedding was clean and pure and white, and make sure there was no possibility of infection. First births can be difficult. And as far as we know, it's just the two of them. I'd like to look at this story from the direction of Joseph. Ladies, don't be too mad at me. I'll talk about Mary next year. But I would like to to tackle this from the perspective of the day he stood before the doorway that was the answer he was waiting for. And it was slammed in his face. I don't know what you think about this, but I, I imagine a, 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 a trip like this with a pregnant woman where you're starting out going 90 miles. Had some preparation. If I was her husband, we'd have made some preparation. 
even though as a first child, as the the husband of this uh, this firstborn baby, the father of this firstborn baby, I wouldn't have known exactly what to do, but I would have tried to figure some things out. This is, you know, the the whole discussion about walking or 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 donkey. I I don't know. I would have probably brought the donkey. I don't know that. She's a young girl. She might have been able to make the 90 miles while this big walking. But as a husband, I probably couldn't handle that. You guys think? Borrow, rent, go to Avis and get the rented donkey. Make sure you can get it there. Take a, take a good look at it, put some padding on it, put some blankets on it. Try to take enough stuff so that she'll be warm at night and she'll be as comfortable as possible in the, in the day. And then they leave Nazareth. Now, I, I'm frankly glad to be leaving Nazareth. I would be thanking God for Augustus Caesar at this moment. Because this has been a tough few months. Remember, Mary leaves and she goes to Judea. She comes back about three months along. And for six months, Mary and Joseph have had to deal with the disgrace of her expanding stomach. And here's this man trying to walk beside her with grace in this disgrace. While he's watching this development and, and, and we're trying to keep in mind that the angel said, don't worry, Joseph, it'll be okay. The child that she's carrying is of the Holy Spirit. You think he woke up in the night saying, did I really have that dream? There was ever a time when he said, ha, ah, you know, man, I don't know anybody else who had a Holy Spirit kid. happening. Angel talked to her too. They had a Nazareth. They head out on the path that so many others take. They may have been with other people. We don't know. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of information. Head down the road. My picture with the picture on the Christmas cards is this big, large belly waddling on this donkey. Every step of the donkey, a shift of the stomach. Every step of the donkey, Jesus slides to the other side. Down the hill, there goes Jesus. Up a hill, there comes Jesus. It's a very important responsibility. They've They've got to deliver God's baby. They're pretty, pretty clear. They're pretty, pretty informed on Scripture. The people who live around Nazareth are more conservative Jewish people. Their, their understanding of the text would be pretty broad. And so it's likely, it's real likely that they had known about the fact that this baby was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so thank you, Caesar Augustus, for giving us an opportunity to get to Bethlehem before the baby is born. Thank you, Caesar Augustus, for getting us out of town before this baby is born. Thank you, Caesar Augustus, for lifting a little bit of our disgrace. Thank you, God, for Caesar Augustus. A few miles down the road. On the back of this animal, this is a this is a probably a 
10-day trip. First day passes. Gets Mary off the donkey, finds a place on the ground without too many rocks, and he begins to lay out the things he brought. A a blanket, a a little extra straw, some food for the donkey, some, some space there on the ground. Starts to pile blankets on her body to try to keep her warm. Lights a little fire. And he says, baby, it'll be okay. And if he's like most of us, male types, inside there's a feeling of, I don't know if it's going to be okay or not, but I will take care of this. You see, we are by nature fixers. Gentlemen, especially you guys who are early in marriage. They don't actually like that. Your counterpart? They come to you to tell you stuff and they come to unload their burdens. They come, sometimes they're crying. Stuff is blowing up around them and you're like, can we fix this? And your wife is not interested in you fixing it. Guys, can I just tell you, you've got the easiest job in the world here. All you have to do is not belch. Be attentive. Focus. Say, yes, that's, that's so hard. I can understand how that would be painful. If you, can cry, if, if you can make a tear come out of your eye and flow down your cheek, poke yourself in the eye if necessary, that tear is bonus points. You need to sit there next to her and say, I can't believe your friend, your so-called friend would say such a thing to you. Be offended for her, but don't fix it. She does not want you to fix it. She just wants you to hear. But you guys, you guys know, we, we don't sit through problems without seeking solutions. It's built into our nature. It's the way God designed us. Ladies, you should understand this about us at at least a little bit because some of you people marry fix-it projects. You know you do, right? It's more of you than you think. I think I might have been a project. You see that guy and you say, I, no one else maybe, he, I could fix that. You know it's true. You look at us and you say, yeah, yeah, he's kind of a mess, but I, I got it. And you go to your mother or your father and the warning comes. You know, this guy's a mess, right? Oh, but mom, it's just that no one has really understood him until now. So the next time you're messed up about your husband or your boyfriend being a fix-it person, just remember you married him. You married this guy to fix him. You picked this boyfriend out of all the possible healthy, nice guys in the world. You picked the fix-it project because you have your own fix-it fixation. You laugh because it's true. So Joseph gets her all bedded down that night. He gets the fire started. He, he throws down one more blanket, lays in close to her. He wants to look around one more time, make sure there's no bandits, bad guys, no, no wolves, no 
wild animals that he can take care of it. And as he lays down there beside her, he's scared. He's cold. He's intimidated by what he's experiencing and he has no idea what to do when this baby gets here. But then it's coming. You see, she's riding on this donkey and she every once in a while says, oh, and he looks at her like, are you okay? Yeah. Baby just kind of rolled over and kicked me in the kidney. Kind of hurts. Okay. Okay. My family and I were on a hike. Sabbath afternoon. Some friends had told us there's this great place at the top of the hill to hike. And so we had gotten this California Trails book. They lie in those books. Just tell you this right now. And we found the trail that our friends had told us about, and it said a moderate trail. I don't know who decided what moderate looks like, but it wasn't so moderate, even when we found the right one later. Because, yes, we left on the wrong trail. But we knew what we were looking at. We knew that we were going down to the American River and that on the other side of the American River, the trail proceeded south. And so when we got off the trail and we're going down the hill through the brush with our three little kids, I just said, I said, let's just keep going. The river's down there somewhere. We'll just cross the river. It all sounds so simple. We'll just cross the river, find the trail on the other side, come back. Sounds so easy. We worked our way down through poison oak, through brush of undescribable nature, over hill and dale, literally down places where I had to hand the child, down places where our dog was having a tough time. We eventually found the river because it was at the bottom right where we knew it would be. Across the river, it's a warm summer day. We had come prepared for that. Went up the other side and started looking for this trail. It goes south when it reaches the other side. It's got to be here somewhere. We just start climbing. A lot of leaf litter, very slippery, kind of steep. And I started to realize that we were in trouble. I started to realize that we weren't finding this trail before dark and that we were going to be here overnight. So we started finding a place where there was some leaves, not pine needles, and we we found an oak tree that had dropped a lot of leaf litter and we spread it out a little bit. But the dog and Brenda... Spencer, because he was the littlest, Carrie, Justin, and Dad. We took what towels and things we had brought along, and we kind of spread it out over the family. And we laid down to try to sleep and wait out the night. Joseph lays down next to his wife fearful for what will happen during the night. 
wakes up the next morning, loads her back up on the donkey, puts the blankets up, and they take on day two. More shifting, more groaning, more concern, more fear. And he starts to think, we just have to get to Bethlehem. We just have to get to Bethlehem. The end of the day, he covers her up. He lays down beside her. The chill creeping into his bones over the night. We just have to get to Bethlehem. We just have to get to Bethlehem. Gets her on the donkey. They start down the road. And she starts to say, how much further? It's really, it's really starting to hurt. Just don't have the baby, honey. We just have to get to Bethlehem. Hang on just a little longer. We just have to get to Bethlehem. Day four. Day five. It's so close now. They've reached the end of the Jordan River. They're starting to, to trek up the hill, 17 miles to the top of the hill. She's not going to be able to do this in one swing. They're going to take two nights. They're going to be sleeping in the canyon where the bandits live, where this is a rough part of the trail. They're hoping that there'll be a group of people around to lay down with. And he lays out this clothes and he lays out this, the mats and lays down his wife. And during that night, she starts to feel uncomfortable and pain starts to progress through her body in ways she's never felt before. Her stomach's cramping. Her back's cramping. He says, honey, we just have to make it to Bethlehem. They get to the top of the hill that day. She can't go any further, so they stop. And they rest. They're miles. They're a few miles from Bethlehem. And he's starting to think, we can do this. We're actually going to get there. We're going to make it. And then next morning, he loads her on the donkey. And man, they have to go slow now because pains are starting to come at a regular interval. He doesn't know much about pregnancy, but he has seen the look in her eyes and he knows this baby's coming. They don't have long now, but she doesn't have long either. They start getting close to Bethlehem and he starts to make promises. You know how we do this, guys? You know we make promises that we have no business making Honey, if you can just, if you can just hang on, it'll be okay. There's an in, there's an, oppor- there, there's an opportunity for you to get a good night's sleep in a warm, comfortable place. I'm sure there'll be a midwife or somebody in the inn to help you out. Just hang on, baby. And they keep, just keep coming. And now with each pass of pain, she cries out. 20 minutes or 30 minutes at first and then pain would come and she would cry out oh Joseph it hurts I know honey just hang on he doesn't know anything but we always act like we know right guys I know honey it'll be okay just hang on a little further up the road in another half hour oh And then it's every 20 minutes, and then it's every 15 minutes, and at 15 minutes they pass Rachel's tomb. It's starting to get dark now. And the reminder that this is the very place where their ancestor died giving birth 
just about rips his arm out. He walks by Rachel's tomb like a child going by a cemetery. This is a scary place. Some really bad things happened right here. They head through the gates of Bethlehem. The pains are piling on now. But every 10 minutes, she just cries out, Joseph, get me some place to lay down. I just need to get off this donkey. I just need to get off this road. I just need a place. He's like, okay, okay, okay. It's okay. It's okay now. We're in the city. We're, we're right here in Bethlehem now. I'm telling you, it'll be okay. There's an inn. It's just at the far end of town. We just make it down the main street. We just right down the, hang on, babe. We'll, we'll get there. We're almost there. The lights of the inn come into view. And he thinks, thank you, Lord. We're here. He says, all right, I'm going to go get us a room. And he leaves her there with a donkey. He heads up to the door. And he begins to knock. And as he begins to knock... Nobody's answering too quickly. It's, it's late. It's dark. People aren't coming to the door. Finally, creaks open. And a man who's obviously the innkeeper is not happy to see him. He says, sir, My wife and I have been on the road for a long time. She's, she's having birth pains right now. We need a place, any place, to get her in out of the weather and lay her down so she can have a baby. And the innkeeper says, Sorry, there's no room. What do you mean, sorry, there's no room? It's an inn, right? He said, Yeah, I. I I'm sorry, it's, we're full up. There's, there's no room. There's no vacancy. There's no place for her. There's no place for you. I'm sorry, but there is no room. There's none. And the innkeeper closes the door. He probably puts his foot against it so this guy won't come busting through. And in that moment of rejection, that moment when his hopes, his plans, that moment when the the, the last 90 miles have come to fruit and there's no fruit. The last 90 miles have come to a place where the answer should be and there's no answer. I see heads around the room nodding because you've You've knocked on doors where there was no answer before, haven't you? You placed your hope in something. You've promised that this would be the answer, and there's no answer. 
He's standing there at the door with information he doesn't want to share with anybody because this information now makes him feel like a child. That night as I laid down there on the side of that hill, I felt, what a lame-o you are. What a loser. You have your wife and your three little kids out here sleeping on the hillside because you were too dumb to turn around when you knew you were on the wrong trail. Everything that had ever been said bad about Joseph starts to run through his mind then. All the things that were said back in Nazareth, this can't possibly be God's son because if it were God's son, it wouldn't be happening like this. And now Joseph's thinking, yeah, it's been nine months since I've heard anything. It's been nine months since I've heard anything from God. And here I am. I'm at the end of the path. I'm at the place I'm supposed to be, God. And there's no room for me. And this guy says there's no room for my my wife who's carrying your son. Where are you when I need you? And now Joseph has to make one of the longest walks that we men ever have to make. He has to walk from the closed door, from the door slammed in his face, back over to where his wife is and give her the news. You ever have to take bad news home? Bad news home? Ever have to go home and say, I've lost my job? Ever ever get that bill in the mail? And somehow, somebody has written you a cheery letter that says, we're turning off the power. Have a nice day. Ever felt the fear and the the intense pressure of a moment of promises failed? Joseph walks back to the donkey, walks back there beside his wife. And he has to say, I know I told you that this would be the place. But there's no room. Sorry, but there's no room. All he can do now put his arms around her, maybe cry a little. He doesn't want to cry because the only official emotion that a man gets to have in that moment is anger, right? Because anything else shows weakness. He takes the reins of the donkey. And he starts on his way. It's a crazy thing that God didn't tell him. God didn't tell him what was going to happen next.
I believe God didn't tell him what was going to happen next because he couldn't have handled it. Just like God didn't tell Abraham that he was not going to inherit anything, that it would be 400 years of his children in slavery. It would be generations before the promised land would actually be given to him. God kept telling him, it'll be great one day. You're going to have children like the stars of the sky, the sand of the sea, one day, but the day's not now. And it was long into Abraham's walk with God. Abraham is a man in his 80s before God even tells him, your children will one day be slaves in Egypt, but they will come back 400 years later and they will inherit the land. See, Joseph's faith in God was okay nine months ago. It'll pass. It'll be all right. The baby is, is, is actually mine. The, the, it, your, your wife has not done anything wrong here. This is the child of the Holy Spirit. It'll be okay. Joseph was okay nine months ago. His faith was strong enough to deal with that. His faith was strong enough to deal with the disgrace he had felt over the last nine months. His faith was strong enough to leave Nazareth with a pregnant wife about to drop a child. His faith was strong enough to keep walking when things were tough. His faith was strong enough to get him through those long, cold nights hoping that she wouldn't have the baby yet. His faith was strong enough to get him to Bethlehem to get past Rachel's tomb, but his faith has run out. If he's anything like you, if he's anything like me, the next few minutes are a horrible conversation with God. Listen. Where are you? I need you to show up. I'm at the end of my plans now. It's time, God. In the stories we tell, in the movies we make, the innkeeper comes out and says, oh, well, I have a plan. The Bible doesn't say so. We don't know if the innkeeper pointed a place or if Joseph just moved in on his own. If Joseph just, like the homeless man he was, grabbed the closest spot and moved his wife and his about-to-be-born baby into it. But he did. He opens the gate, maybe under instruction, and maybe just out of frustration, he's, he walks into there, th- to that little room. He starts looking for clean hay. And he starts making a bed, a little better than the ones on the road, but he starts making a bed for his wife, who is now crying out every five minutes, Oh, Joseph, oh, Joseph, do something. And every time she cries out, he feels like a failure because she should be in a bed. She should be with the midwife. She should be in some other circumstance. And now here she is in a barn, in a barn. He gets her settled. And those pains are coming fast and furious now. And her water breaks. He's been around enough animals. He's been around enough babies being born. He knows that once this happens, things are speeding up. And her pains get harder. And her cries get louder. 
and his loneliness gets deeper. And he knows all he has left to do is try to help this baby arrive. And he cries out to God again. Where are you? You could send an angel for this. Why am I here with this woman and with your child by myself? We don't know how long she lived. You ladies know better than any of us know what the next couple hours are like. As she's laying there in this situation and the baby comes. Praise God it wasn't breach. Praise God that the cord wasn't around its neck. And she brought forth her firstborn child. And they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Still dirty. Don't give me Jesus, meek and mild. Little babies cry. Wailing his lungs out. And with the force of those tears and of that crying opening and closing those lungs that have never had to work before, opening and closing those lungs and opening and closing those lungs. And now he's got a wife who looks broken and a crying baby on his head. Here's the thing. Had that innkeeper not slammed that door, this family would have not been in this cave, in this barn. This baby wouldn't have been wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. You see, the door that slammed on him that day wasn't a door about rejection. It wasn't anything about him really. It was simply a statement that the place is full more people are here than we can hold. Someone beat you to the last bed. That's all this was. It wasn't a rejection to him. It may have felt that way. It may have felt like he had made promises that he had broken, that this man was actually rejecting him. It may have brought up his ire, his anger, his frustration. It may have brought up a lot of things in him, but it wasn't really about him. But the way we handle moments like this will often determine the success of our walk with Jesus. I know some of you have had tough years. I know that 2019 has been hard on some of your family. I know that some of you have asked, where are you, God? Now. I need you to show up, God. Now. I need you to do something, God. Now, I don't have time to wait anymore. I'm at the end of my rope. I have nothing left. I can't keep making promises. I need you to fulfill some of your promises. And when the door closes, 
when the doors close. There's a new compass set for you. They're not about rejection. It's about direction. You see, that door closes when Jesus is born in that barn and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes and an angel shows up down the road and the angel says, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feed trough. The only way the shepherds knew was because they were actually in the wrong place. You will find the baby in room 203 in the end at the end of the road. And they won't let you in because you're shepherds. That closed door was simply a different direction. It was not rejection of Joseph. It was not a a repudiation of God's desires to lead. It was, in fact, God's leading itself. You ever pray for God to open and close doors for you? If you're praying for God to open and close doors, closed doors have to be okay. He closes some doors. When he closes some of the doors, it's not that door is wrong. It's that door is not the right door. This is a better door. It's not you were wrong to even look at that door. It's that this is the direction. This is the one I want you to go through. This is your door. The door wasn't rejection. The door was a sign of God's guidance. And how we handle rejection in those moments may in fact determine how our walk with God goes after that. How do you handle rejection? How do you handle the the closed doors? How do you handle the moments when you feel like God isn't there, like he's abandoned you. How have you handled them this year? How will you handle them next year? Because they're coming. It may be a big deal, it may be a small deal, but they are coming. How do you handle not having enough information? How do you handle believing that you're in the right place and finding out you're not? God doesn't tell you everything. For a couple reasons. But the biggest one is that you can't handle it. Abraham couldn't handle being told to go to a country, who go find, look for a city whose builder and maker is God, and oh, by the way, you're not going to find it. You know he never found it, right? He never found it. He was at it. He went to it, but he didn't recognize it when he was there. He was there in Jerusalem. But he didn't even know it was the right place. He, he went to the city whose builder and maker is God, and he met a man there who, in fact, was a priest of God. But he didn't even recognize it when he saw it. It is an act of love and grace 
that causes God not to tell you everything. Joseph, I cannot tell you about the inn. It is going to be a spiritual crisis like you've never experienced before. I cannot tell you it will be full. I wish I could. I wish I could alleviate the frustration that you're having. I wish you could know that it was my will when you were standing there in front of that closed door. But I can't tell you that because if I told you that the baby was going to be born in a barn, you wouldn't go. Your faith wouldn't allow you to leave Nazareth. You'd stay there so your mom could take care of your wife and your baby. So a midwife might be present at the birth of the Messiah. But Joseph, the homeless need to know. That I understand. Every child born in the backseat of a car needs to know that I didn't choose a better place for me than for them. Every family stuck on the side of the road, no vacancy signs all around, needs to know that I get it. Joseph, you need to know that when you run up against an obstacle, you can't move. When your last promise has been broken and your last hope has been dashed and the door is closed and locked, you need to know one thing. That all you can do is continue to walk in the direction I sent you in. Just keep walking. And it's no different today than it was then. When we find ourselves at a place we just don't understand. just ask that we keep walking. We will walk beside him. He will not forsake us. But we just need to keep walking in the last direction he pointed us. We don't have to know why. God works in us, not for us. Just Twelve months in which to set a new path and discover a new faith and to find the will of God. And they lie just ahead. Just keep walking. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you for the stories of others as they inform our own. Thank you for giving us an understanding of what Joseph and Mary couldn't possibly have understood. That even this barn was in your will.
and that you were taking care of both of them along the trail. And that you walked with them every step. Help us to take from their experience the knowledge that we walk by faith, not by sight.